0: Good to be here with you guys at 24 this weekend. I'm really, really excited to dive in. I had such a good time at the retreat. If you were with us in the retreat, tremendous. If you weren't, I'd love for you to interact with some of those that were at the retreat. You'll find out a little bit more about all the amazing food at Lake Barkley, about our accommodations, and just about diving into the things of God. My name is Gary. <clears throat> My wife's name is Johnny. We reside in downtown Nashville. It's kind of weird for me to say that. I said it wrong a little bit earlier in a one-on-one with somebody. We just moved from East Nashville into downtown about um, November of 2019. I have two daughters. One's McKenna, who's 21 year old third year student at the King's College in lower Manhattan, and I have another daughter, Story, who's a senior at Hume Fog in downtown Nashville, who's getting ready to go next year, um, as my daddy would always say, God willing, um, to New York City as well, where she's heading off to the King's College. So I look forward to diving in to God's Word with you together. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of John. As you open up, just hold there for a moment. Open up the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I grew up in a community of faith where everyone knew where every book of the Bible was. I did not know where every book of the Bible was. So I would be intimidated quite a bit. I felt if I looked to the table of contents that I was going to be cast out from the community of faith. So if you're unsure, just dig in. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Hold there for a moment. Where we were this weekend was diving into following Jesus together with the thought that life change takes place best in the context of relationships. And relationships are vital not only for our individual walk, but for the body of Christ and all about who we are and I love relationships. I love chatting about relationship with my wife, relationship with my daughter, relationship with my friends, relationship with the Lord, relationship with others. Matter of fact, I was thinking this morning as I was sitting over in the song about some unique relationship moments for my wife and I. Before my wife was my wife, I remember Panama City Beach belly flop contest. I know that sounds shady. But I'm judging a belly flop contest and it's array of high school students from 70 pounds to, I don't know, 370 that are flying off the side of a pool, hitting in a pool for a belly flop contest. It's interesting, we had a couple of eighth graders flying off with the high schoolers. It was six foot two tall guys, size 11 shoes, 70 pounds. You know those middle schoolers like that, right? They're flying off a pool, hitting the water, hitting the water. There's students all around. They're surrounding the pool. I'm sitting on the step on the side judging with a couple other people, and we're holding up numbers. And then came this weird moment of relational interaction. Someone came from the other side of school or other side of the pool with an array of roses. And it was during the month of July, and my birthday was in July, and I didn't think about it that much, but they were bringing them to me as a birthday present, okay? Now, I've never gotten roses before for my birthday, but it was a dozen roses. And I got them, and everybody started singing, Happy Birthday, Gary, Happy Birthday, Gary, which was kind of a fun moment. And then they said, Read the card. I'm like, Out loud? Yeah, read the card out loud. And as I pulled the card, I realized the card wasn't from my good friends that were sitting beside me judging not from my good friends that work in staff at the student camp, not from the students that were there, not from the adults were there, but they were from a young lady that I'd met a couple months ago. She was a school teacher in the state of Texas and she served in a church and the youth minister was a good friend of mine and I'd met her through him. And she sent me a dozen roses. I was excited and a little embarrassed at the same time. Then I opened the card and there I read this young lady's poetry skills. Roses are red, violets are blue. Okay, that's original, you know. I'm here in Texas, missing you, that's what it said. So I read this out loud, students are going nuts. They're, they're just going nuts. Hope to see you soon. And it didn't say love, I just met her three or four weeks ago, it just said Johnny, which is now my wife, Johnny. I still remember that moment. That's the only time she's given me roses in 28 years. I can't say that, you know? But that was cool. The start was amazing. It was amazing. How important are relationships to you? I mean, what are some vital relationships that are in your life? You have somebody who's ever sent you flowers, somebody gave you a card. You have somebody that's spoken in your life, came alongside you during difficult, challenging moments. I mean, who are those people in your life? What makes them stand out? How they influenced you? Who are people around you that have influenced the direction of your life? Those were really the areas that we dove into in Friday and Saturday at Lake Barclay, and I want to continue that here with us. There's about 100 of us there diving in. I really long for you to dive into conversations, and I'd like to take the step a little bit further, further from relationships are vital to transforming relationships are vital in life to the depth of our relationship's of our life revital to what is our relationship like with the world? And Jesus speaks about that. Turn with me. The book of John, chapter 17. And let's read. John 17, verse 1 reads this way. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Jesus continued continually communicating. He had been teaching the disciples. So he's getting ready to move into a time of prayer for the disciples and for other people. Matter of fact, John 14 through 17, he talked about relationships with the world that we're gonna dive into today, relationships with the Holy Spirit, and relationship with the Father. Right now, he's diving into relationships with the world. Look at what he says, verse nine. He says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, But for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, those are the disciples, for mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one, while I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me, I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, And the, so the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So Jesus knows his departure's at hand. He's getting ready to go to be with his father. So he's praying for the disciples around them. Let's continue on, verse 14. He said, I have given them your word, the truth from the Father, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Verse 20, I do not ask these things only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. So he's saying, I'm not just praying for the disciples, I'm praying for those down the line. Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they may be also in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. In a quick reading right there of that passage, I think you hear a word that stands out, Jesus heart that stands out, his care and concern stand out about the disciples relationship and our relationships. Not only with the father, not only with the holy spirit, not only with each other, but with the world. Matter of fact in the version right there, the ESV that I read right there, the world word world comes up 12 times. Jesus is praying about, he's interacting about, he's teaching about our relationship with the world and the type of relationship that we have with it. Now, know if you're a student in here, when I was in high school, I can remember our youth pastor talking about this passage of scripture, and I always struggle with it. It seems so foggy to me. I struggle with the thought of the world, in the world, of the world, into the world. What is he saying right there? I remember getting a little older, interacting with some college students, and there was a young man one day, and he was foggy about this passage. Matter of fact, he came up to me one day when I was teaching this passage. and said, Gary, I totally disagree from what you said. I said, what do you mean? He said, I totally disagree how you interpreted that passage, to which I said, oh, it's okay, let's discuss it. Matter of fact, in our retreat this weekend, we talked about in the book of Hebrews where it says, be around people that stir you up, that encourage you, that come alongside of you in the ways of the Lord. And when the scripture says stir you up, it means to provoke you. It means to irritate you. It means to challenge you. It means to cause your thinking to think in different ways and establish a foundation in your life. What it means for students is you're not about the same people that think exactly the way you think. It means you have a variety of thoughts, same way as us as adults. It means you have people that stir you up. Now, the Scripture in Hebrews says to stir you up in the ways of the Lord, people that think differently about Scripture so they can dive you or take you into a deep dive in the ways of Scripture. That's what the college student said to me. He said, Gary, I disagree with you. I said, cool, what do you believe? He said, I believe what my grandmother taught me. I said, what did she teach you? He said, she taught me this. Grandma t- me Grammy, I think was her name, told me to be not of the world. Okay. so what Jesus prayed. And not in the world. I said, what? He said, yeah, my grandmother told me not to be of the world and not to be in the world. And I said, why would she teach you that? It seems like totally contrary to the foundation of this passage of Scripture. And he said, because there's a lot of challenges in the world. There's a lot of heartache in the world. There's a lot of sin in the world. There's a lot of destruction in the world. So she doesn't want me to be of the world. And the best way to not be of the world is to not be in the world. Don't you think? Now, really, if we were open and honest today, a lot of us would go, all those things are there. We're continually challenging or facing challenges in navigating culture, moment, time in which we live. But it seems to me that Jesus is praying uniquely different than what the college student said. See, Jesus is saying, we are not of this world, and he's praying for God to take care of us and the shield us, meaning there is something dangerous. There's something treacherous within the world in which we live. But he also says that he's sending us into the world, which implies there's something very important and necessary for us to engage the world. So for you and I this morning, for the next few minutes, it is foundational, students, parents, adults, wherever you are in life, that we understand the truth or begin to journey through this truth. Because our spiritual strength, our vitality in walking in the ways of God, our effectiveness in sharing and living the story of God is impacted by our understanding of our relationship with the world. know when John speaks of the world, he speaks of the world in a few different ways. That's something foundationally for us as well. He says the world is this. Some parts of Scripture in the book of John, uh, or the writer writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the world is people. That's, let's say, us in here, okay? One. Two, sometimes world is the land that we're standing on, the world, okay? Three, sometimes when he uses the word world, what he's saying is a way of thinking a sense of morality or ethics or beliefs that's contrary or opposing to the things of God. So when we hear Jesus praying here, you need to think, which world is he speaking of? People? Land that we're standing on? Or is he talking about a way of thinking that's in direct opposition to the things of God? Look at what he says in verse 14. What does it mean when he says we're not of this world? Think about world when we read it here. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Think about who that is right there. Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now, when you read that passage, you'll see world coming up two different ways. You'll see people, world, and you'll also see a way of thinking that's in direct opposition to the things of God. See, the word world here, in a majority of the sense, is the enemy of God. A way of thinking, a biblical worldview, a thought to how you're gonna leave your life, how you're gonna date, how you're gonna engage in marriage, how you're gonna raise your kids. That is a direct opposition to the foundational truths of the things of Scripture. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. This is what it says. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. When he says we're from God, he's writing to those that have entrusted their life to Christ. We spoke about it this week, and what he's saying is we are one body. We are one spirit. We are one hope. We are one faith. We are one Jesus We're one baptism, we're one Lord, the Father, this is who we are. But the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. If you read that in another version, in the CSB version, it says this way, we know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Now sway is one of those unique words. It's not a word that I've used in the past, I don't know how many years Now know that young people have brought that word sway back a little bit. Adults in the room, if you're hip-hop rap individuals, and a lot of you adults are like, oh, yeah, man, I'm a hip-hop rap guy, no doubt. Sway is in a variety of songs there. It's like they've brought the word sway back. Now, I love old-timey words or old-fashioned words. For a long time, my dad would say words I would have no idea what he was talking about. I don't have to look them up. Or I would just kind of know. My mom would do the same thing. My dad would always use this old-fashioned word, britches. We don't say britches anymore. My dad would say, I like those britches you got on. I'd be like, what is he talking about, you know? My mom would say this, if you look nice, you look really fancy today. I don't know if I want to look fancy, you know? Like old-timey words. There's another old-timey word my dad would use, you forgot your spectacles, I would say, what? Your glasses. Oh, my mom would say, your peepers. I'm like, what are you talking about? My mom would talk about going to get her hair done at the hairdresser. I didn't know what that was. My dad would say, those are cool gents over there. Gents? I don't know what that is. As we get older, we would think, hey, that's a hip person. There's somebody that's far out. This morning, in our early worship service, you'll have to ask about that. There were quite a bit of shenanigans on the stage up here, okay? Hopefully, in the kids' area, there were no ankle biters and no fisticuffs. Those are old-timey words. You get what I'm saying? When we hear the word sway, and when you're digging into Scripture, what words stand out? What are they saying? So when the word says sway here, the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Sway is this, a system designed to influence, distract, and move people away from a love relationship with the one true God. That's what he's saying right there. The whole world, people, are involved in a system, a way of thinking, an environment that influences you away from the things of God. So you think, how is that created? How is this created within the world? 1 John 2.15 says it this way. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You've got to think, which world is he talking about here? verse 16 for all that is in the world the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes the pride of life is not from the father but it is from the world and the world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of God abides to forever so when john says do not love the world or anything that belongs to the world this is what he's saying he's saying Don't lean into, do not have a love for the things of the world that are in rebellion against the Father. Do not allow the desires of your eyes, the desires of your flesh, and the pride of your life to dictate your life. Don't allow the desires of the flesh, sensuality, to drive your life. Don't allow the desires of your eyes, seeing things around that you don't have, that you long. Those in a short version. Don't allow the pride of life. Don't allow your identity and who you are to be established in things outside of God's word. Because that won't give you strength. That won't give you vitality. It won't give you effectiveness. It's a system that's opposing to God, so loving it is incompatible with loving God and outside our design. Notice everything that he talked about there isn't so much stuff, but rather values. It means what's foundational to our life. So if you're a young family and you're an old family, you think, what is foundational to our lives? If you're a husband or your wife, what is foundational on how we raise our kids? Are we of the world or are we not of the world? If you're a student that's getting ready to go off to college like my daughter, when she heads to college, is her going to college gonna be based on the strength of God's word and the values of his word or is she gonna be of the world? Thus we are to reject conformity to the world's beliefs, ethics, and values, that they're not what shape and drive our lives. And Jesus is praying in this passage that his followers would be, interesting, sanctified in the area of truth. Now, sanctified means that you grow, that you change, that you're being transformed. In the area of truth means in reference to God's word, that you and I, we're diving into God's word, we're embracing it, it's saturating our life, we're discovering it, not just by ourselves, but with each other, so it just permeates out of who we are. Now, for me as a student growing up, that was very difficult. And even today, I find that difficult. That it's just a normal rhythm in our life. Truly what Friday and Saturday was about. It was life change takes place best in the context of relationships. That you and I study God's Word together, yes. That you and I pray together, yes. That you pray individually, yes. That you study God's Word individually, yes. That we gather together, Yes but that we dive into life in God's Word. We discover God's Word. We nurture each other and come alongside of each other. And we walk in the ways of obedience alongside of each other. There's one writer that said it this way, an isolated follower of Christ will be a defeated follower of Christ. You're a husband in here today You're a man in here today and you're isolated. You're trying to journey in the ways of Christ without other men in your life. You will be defeated in your effectiveness to share the story of God, to live the story of God, to love your wife, to raise your kids in the ways of the Father and walk in the ways of Jesus in the world. I mean, it's woven through the scripture. For students, you will struggle in school. You will struggle in middle school and high school. You will flame out in college. You will struggle. Doesn't mean God's grace won't be about you, his forgiveness won't be about you, and he won't be in pursuit of you. So Jesus is praying. And he's saying, I'm praying about your relationship with the world. If you're a mom in here today, and you say, I want to raise my kids in this way. Jesus is saying, this is the way I long for you to raise your children. Do not allow... The morality of the culture, the ethics of the culture, or the belief of the culture to shape the foundation of who you are. You want to grow a community of faith? You want to be a church that gives praise to the Father that makes its name known, God's name known? Not to be of the world. So Jesus is praying in this passage, and he's saying, we need to be sanctified by God's truth. How are you doing with that? Doing it together, it's great strength. Doing it individually, you will struggle. There's a writer, Pastor Levi Lusco, and he says it this way. Refuse to live a life that's cut. Don't hobble back and forth between Jesus and the world, or slowly you will become like a sickly hybrid version of you. You were born to be. See, God designed us and brought us into a relationship with him through his son Christ to be strengthened, that vitality would just permeate from our lives, that we'd be effective in making his name known. He longs for your marriage as you're going through difficult, challenging times, and we all will, to be strengthened by God's word. He longs for us as parents to shape our kids in his ways, that they might flourish in his ways, that they might make his name known. Our foundation in life should not be just to raise our kids so they can make major bank and be unbelievable influencers in our world today, but so they might have foundation in their life and the truths of them might prevail in their life. It matters to the relationships that we're in. It matters to who you're dating. I think about young ladies in the room. What's the guys like that you're dating? Is there strength in his life in God's word or is the normal Rhythms of their life based on the things of the world. Find another guy. Or better yet, find God. As a friend said, chase after God and look right and left and see the guys that are chasing after God as well and connect in that way. See, if our life is consumed with things, even good things, then it shows that the love of the Father is not in your life. Where's your treasure? So there's an aspect of the world that we need to avoid. We need to not be of the world. A way of thinking that's in a direct opposition of the things of God. God longs for us to have full life and flourish in his ways. But he continues praying. And he talks about us being in the world. Verse 18. Read this with me. As you sent me into the world. Big phrase right there. Jesus says, God, as you sent me into the world. I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also might be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also have life in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So here Jesus says, God, you sent me into the world. That's really, really strong, really, really big. So we need to think, what does it mean for you and I to be in the world in this sense? Think about this. God sent Jesus into the world. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. means he took up residence among us. Jesus came in flesh and bone. In the beginning, Jesus was with the Father. He leaves heaven, he takes on flesh and bone, takes up residence among us. He engages with us in order to rescue us and renew us back into relationship with the Father in the design that God has for us. So the Father sent Jesus into the world to die for the people God loves. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So when Jesus speaks of the world here, he's referring to people who need to be restored to God. Jesus moved in. Jesus took up residence. Jesus engaged in the world, people. He gave himself to rescue and renew creation. So when I say, when we look at And when we think about, what does it mean to be in the world in this sense? I like to think like Jesus here. Jesus moved in. He took up residence. He engaged. He brought presence into the lives of people. Jesus didn't just visit for a sermonette and then bust out. He didn't pass out a few fish, a few loads of bread, feed thousands of people, and then cruise up to the hills to just write books for months on end. He didn't act like Cinderella and come out of a castle and engage with peasants and then go back to the castle. He moved in. Jesus became flesh by being conceived in the womb of a woman, the Virgin Mary. In the scripture, the clear teaching is the word became flesh. He takes up residence among us so that we might have a relationship with the one true God. And as followers of Jesus, we follow in the ways of Jesus together. It demands for us, we live our lives like Jesus. And we do not, we do not silo down. We do not retreat into a subculture of Christianity. We do not keep our kids away from the world. Yes, there are times that things can be dangerous for their lives. But we train our kids in the ways of the Lord to not only love on to walk alongside those that do not know the story of Christ, it was a years ago and really weird, awkward conversation. I was at my mom's funeral. I had a little part in the funeral. Somebody came up to me and said, hey, you still living in Nashville? Yeah, I still live in Nashville. They said, my son lives in Nashville. Hey, great. How's he doing? Terrible. I said, what's up? He said, he went to one of those schools in Nashville, one of those liberal colleges, that taught him, taught him all kind of things in opposition to things of God. So I hate Nashville, and I hate that school. Okay, I'm at my mom's funeral, all right? And I'm thinking in my mind, this is a totally inappropriate conversation at this point in time. But I thought, okay, my mom loved Jesus. She would love me to chat and talk and press in. And I just couldn't do it. I was so worn out emotionally. Loved my mom and was excited for my mom to go spend time with the Lord continually. But there was emotional hurt and pain. We're driving home, I share that with my wife, and she said, what would you say to that individual? And I said, well, I think about John 17. Did the young man that went to college learn how to live in the world but not be of the world? And did his parents raise him to learn how to live in the world but not be of the world? The world is all over a way of thinking that's in direct opposition to things of God. God never called us to reside in a funky subculture that doesn't engage in the world around us. Verse 18 said, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. I love that. I love to be engaged in the lives of those that don't know the story of Christ. Lance Ford said it this way, mission doesn't visit a neighborhood. It moves into a neighborhood, presence with people. Amy Carmichael says it this way, does it not stir up our hearts to go forth and help others that don't know Christ? Does it not make us long to leave our luxury, our exceedingly abundant light, and go to them that sit in darkness? Does it not encourage us? to lead the desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, the pride of life, to fall in the ways of Jesus. See, this requires us to live intentionally and set up a real abiding presence around the world that doesn't know Christ. In this way, our mission, our steps, our daily rhythms of life, the sentence that God has us on, correlates with the ordinary rhythms of our life. And we learn to engage our lives with those that do not know the story of Jesus. I shared with the crew this weekend that I'd spent time around a friend this week. And he said, man, I see that you're in downtown Nashville. What's it like? He said, man, I love it. He's like, I hate downtown Nashville. I'm like, I get it. There's a lot of traffic. There's a lot of scooters. There's all kinds of different things. But there is a lot of life. And he said, it's a lot of terrible life. To which I said, there's terrible life everywhere. He's like, not where I live. Yeah, there is, man. Dude, I could come to where you live. There's terrible life. And he said, I live there and I tried to learn how to engage in the lives of those that didn't know Christ. And I was uncertain how to do it. I mean, how do you do it? How do you engage with those that don't know Christ? And he said this, I get it. He said, I'm really good with churched people but not with people that don't follow Jesus, okay? Lance Ford says, mission doesn't visit the neighborhood, it moves into the neighborhood. So I simply said, your presence matters. Your closeness with those that don't know Christ matters. You being powerless, not just lording over someone and everything about you matters. You not only listening to their story, but sharing your story and better yet, the story of God matters. It was years ago. We were backpacking in New Mexico and there was a girl by the name of Sarah and she was cruising up a mountain with about 40 other backpackers. I didn't know Sarah's story. I don't know if she was a follower of Christ or not a follower of Christ. Never assume that by how somebody looks or the clothes that they wear or what they eat or what they drink. We just don't know. The scripture says it comes from fruit. The best way to know is to engage in someone and ask them about their faith journey. Be curious, do something really wild and listen for a good length of time before sharing yours Then share your story and share the story of God. Sarah experienced a little bit of that as she was going up a mountain. See, she was going up a mountain. Sarah was this little bitty girl that was about 4'8", and the backpack was about three foot. They would go up and be in a tent with three other individuals, and three other individuals in the tent were in with Sarah. And Sarah carried up the tent, her um, had backpack, of course, sleeping bag, and the water for the tent. Her backpack was really, 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 really heavy. And Sarah was about 4'8", and kind of frail. And I went over to her as the backpacking leader, which is crazy. I do no backpacking now. If my kids said to me, Dad, you want to go backpacking? I'd say, at the Marriott, that's where I'm backpacking. I'm not going backpacking. I'll go up backpacking out in the state uh, park at Lake Barkley and eat their meals every day. That's my kind of backpacking, you know. That's what I'll do. But then I was backpacking. I said to Sarah as a backpacking leader, Sarah, you've got way too much weight. Can you give that off to a few other people? And she said, no, I can't. I'm doing all this. Why are you doing all this? She said, because my youth leader said I couldn't do it. I said, I don't care what you youth leader said, get some of that to other people. She said, no, I'm gonna do it. And I said, okay, okay. So we had 40 people cruising up the mountain. She started off about number four, four in line. She's walking up the mountain. We stopped to smell trees for a few minutes. I know it sounds wacky, but in New Mexico, some of the pine trees smell like vanilla and some like chocolate. And so I love to say, students, smell trees. Plus, it's a great photo op, okay? Because you get pictures of students with their noses pressed against trees, all right? It's really, really good. So as we stopped, Sarah wasn't kind of in the fourth area anymore. She was back to 15th. We stopped to get water a little while longer, and she was back to 25th. We stopped again, and she was back to about the 35th position in line. Some adults came up to me, and the adults said, Gary, there's a little girl in the back. I said, what's up? Well, she's only about four eight. She has a backpack, three foot. She's got the water. She's got the tent. She's got her sleeping bag. It's so heavy. She keeps just struggling and struggling and struggling. What should we do? Should we get all the backpack from her and carry it all? No, she doesn't want to do that. She doesn't want to do that. Her youth minister told her she couldn't. She's going to do it. So I said, how about this? Two or three adults, stay back with Sarah. And as you stay back with Sarah, we'll put a couple students to stay back. And you guys just come up. We'll walk at different rates. We'll just be on different points of our journey here. We're busting it, going up the mountain strong. You guys hang back. We got up that mountain that evening. Everybody put their tents up. And we started the fire. And we got our food out. And still no Sarah. Still no youth leaders. Still no students. This time I'm like, maybe a bad move, leaving everybody back. So I'm going to walk back down the mountain and find them. As I started the journey down, here they come up. They got up there, Sarah put her tent up for the rest of her crew, put her sleeping back out, went to sleep for the rest of the evening. We're around the fire later that night. The youth leader said to me, that was crazy. I said, what happened? He said, Sarah wouldn't let us do anything. We couldn't carry any of her stuff and she was so slow. And I said, it's okay, man, we're all at different paces. We're all at different points of our journey. I said, what'd you guys do? He said, we just stopped a bunch, we talked a bunch. She shared her story, we shared our story. Adults shared, students shared, we interacted together. It was the next night at camp in a session like this, except it was in the evening. I get through speaking. As I get through speaking, we gave what was called an invitation. And it was an invitation for students to chat with someone in the front, chat with someone around the side, chat about their life in Christ, chat about their story, God's story, entrust their life to Jesus, to confess that Jesus is Lord and they are not. And as I was sharing this, I see little Sarah coming down the aisle, all right? Kind of. Because people were standing, she was just four or eight. I would see her for a little bit and not see her, see her and not see her. Really. And I saw that she got down front. And I had a mic on and I didn't want as I chatted with her for people to hear, so I turned the mic off and leaned forward. I stepped back, clicked my mic back on, and looked to the side. And I saw Sarah had gone to two or three of the adults that had gone up the mountain with her. And then two or three of the students that had gone up the mountain as well had come out of their seats, and they'd all gather around Sarah. And they began to talk and look like discuss and chat and listen and interact. And then I saw them praying. Then they left after the service. Everybody headed out to be with their church groups. And finally, I found one adult. I said, hey, what was up? What took place with you and guys and Sarah? And he said, Sarah gave her life to Christ. I said, that's amazing. He said, she confessed that Jesus was Lord and she wasn't. I said, that's awesome. He said, what was so unique is we didn't want to stay back in line. We didn't want to walk with Sarah on her journey. But in doing so, we had an opportunity to share our story, to hear her story, to talk about the story of God. And she said she always feels unique and peculiar like she doesn't fit in. She feels like she's ostracized. And that was one of the one moments in her life when she felt like people were about her. Michael Frost and Alan Hirsch use these four words, and they say this You want to be in the world, be present with people, be in the community in which you live, have proximity to those that don't know Christ, find out their story, learn about their story. And then be powerless. You don't have to thump someone on the head with a scripture. You just come alongside. You listen to them. You're curious. You continue to grow in listening skills and asking questions. And then you do proclaim. You share your story. What is your faith story? How has God worked in your life? And what does God have for their life? That's what those individuals did with Sarah that day. They had presence with her. They were in proximity, whether they knew it or not, with someone that did not know Jesus. Not only were they in proximity with her, they were powerless. They let Sarah drive things. They didn't take her backpack off. They were all in different points of their journey. And then they proclaimed. They gave this faithful transmission of the story of Jesus. They talked about repentance. They talked about beliefs. So with those four thoughts in mind, presence, proximity, Powerless. Proclamation. I'd love you to think about where you currently do life and where you currently live. Are you present with those that don't know Jesus? Are you in proximity? Are you powerless? Are you proclaiming? Are you in the world? Jesus is our role model. And Jesus prayed for you and I not to be of the world, but the foundation of our life to be grounded in his truth and the scripture. The culture doesn't shape our lives. The world doesn't shape our lives. World meaning a way of thinking that's a direct opposition to the things of God. We're not about the desires of the flesh, the desires of our eyes. We're not about the pride of life. We're about walking in relationship with one true God, relationship with each other, and relationships with the world. See, God has caused and called us to be his representation of Jesus on this earth. We should have a love for this world in spite of the world's sinful ways, in spite of the ways and direction the world's are going. We should have friendship. We should walk on the trails of people's lives. We should walk alongside of people. Jesus was known as the friend of sinners. Because he loved and spent time with those who did not have a relationship with God. The scripture said, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Look, he's a glutton and a drunkard, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And wisdom is vindicated by our deeds. So people had this perception of Jesus who were very religious, who were very external. We were very pharisaical. And internally, Jesus was not of the world. His foundation was based on the truth of God's word and directive. He shared that and talked that with others. But Jesus, I'm so thankful, was a friend of sinners, which is you and I. Clunky, far from God, sinners, shaking our fist to the Father. And he pursued us and took up residence among us so that we might have a relationship with the one true God. And then he teaches and prays that we might not be of the world, but that we might be in the world. Are you of the world? If you are today, he confessed to the Father that the foundational drive and direction of your life is based on the world you date, your marriage, what you do with your money, the decisions you make, where you live. Confess those and surrender to the Father and allow him to set the direction of your life. Are you in the world? Are you forming relationships with those who do not know Jesus? What is God saying to you today? What are you going to do about it? Who are you going to share it with? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your love for us, your overwhelming, amazing love that you sent your son to die for us so that we might have a relationship with you. Father, strengthen us through your word, through your Holy Spirit, through our relationship with each other that we might not be of the world. And give us your strength and vitality to live in your ways as we are in the world. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.